We want to hear about what's happening in your town, suburb, school, church, community project or organization. Send your information, stories, achievements, events and news to content at kpulpit.co.za. Welcome back to another episode of 180 Degrees. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, it is so fun that we are here today on this fun Monday evening, and we we missed you guys so much. It's been quite a few days. Well, it's only been seven days, but it felt pretty short, actually. Yeah, well, to me, it felt quite long, but I mean, that's yeah, that's just how different people are. But also, the weather's been absolutely right? lovely today. You I'm know very what? sad that I couldn't go to the beach. Really? Well, actually... Today's weather was so interesting, actually, because I woke up sweating. I had to walk somewhere sweating, and then it rained for like 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Well, actually 15 seconds. That's what I was astonished by. I went out to put some laundry out on the line, and it was raining. And then like before I'd finished hanging it out, the rain had already stopped. Well, yeah, I'm from Stelly, so we just had like sunshine, gorgeous weather the whole day. But you know, Stelly's has really nice weather. It's so warm there. I like it. Lovely. Guys, we have such an interesting show packed up for you guys. We have a fun What's Down in Cape Town featured around markets, which you don't want to miss. We have an interesting, groovy movie, an interesting interview with a children's home, a non-profit organization, one of the oldest ones here in South Africa. And then we have an interesting question. Everything about this show is, you guessed it, interesting. Cape Town. Cape Town. Cape Town. What's down in Cape Town? Cape Town. Welcome to the What's Down in Cape Town section of the show. Now we have three different things planned for you guys, and they're all centered around markets, as I said. Three interesting ones, but not considering the very large one that I always think of. The Orange is a market that's held by the V&A waterfront. Ooh, I, I, I very much don't ever go to Markies, so I need to start getting into the habit of that. Yes, they're really, really cool. So the first one is the Neighborhood Goods Market. This is an independent, award-winning farmer's market that has been running since 2006. They have a wide variety of stalls, including foods, wine, vintage clothing, and various other fishes and meats. It is open from... Excuse me, guys. I don't know what (laughs) just jumped into my throat over there. But it is open from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. only on Saturdays. However, it has a different time. It's open every weekend. It's open from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Sundays. You can find it at the Old Biscuit Mill, which I've always wanted to go to. I hear it's so fun, that place. Maybe we can do it this weekend. Yes, totally. It's on 375 Albert Road in Woodstock. The next is the Cape Point Vineyard Market. Now, this is located in Northook. It is a weekly community market, and it is a bit different from the average market. It only opens once a week in the evening from 4.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. It can be found in the Cape Point Vineyards in the Silver Mine Road, Norfolk, via the M3. This market has a variety of stalls, including stalls where you can buy roasted lamb, wood fire pizzas, vegan donuts, steak and pork sandwiches, and just everything they so selling just sounded so interesting it's and really weird for me how it's like meat 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 mm-hmm. vegan donuts right meat meat <laughs> they really care for everyone honestly <laughs> then the last one but certainly not the least one and the only one i've been to and i really enjoyed this one the vna food market have you ever been i have actually been it's to the really vna cool. food market yeah they're a bit expensive but it's yeah. like a really fun cultural market, kind yeah. of, I could say. No, they're totally expensive because they definitely target the tourists. I and think. I suppose, like, if you go to the V&A, you're at the V&A. So true. Don't, don't expect, like, wimpy prices. Mm, so true. 
This food market boasts more than 40 food beverages and stalls that sell an array of artisanal products. Located in the V&A waterfront, but not many other markets are as varied in terms of food as this one, especially because they have foods from all around the world. This market is open every day of the week, unlike the other ones, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and you can find it at the Old Power Station in Building 19 on Dock Road in the Pierhead in the V&A waterfront. Now that's it, you guys. You have those three markets that you might consider and you might consider attending. If you guys would like to tell us any fun markets or any experiences you guys have had at these markets, you can totally WhatsApp us those experiences at 081-729-1657. I repeat, 081-729-1657. Zoe on 180 degrees. Now let's head on straight into the interview, which I'm very excited for. On the line, we currently have Nicolette van der Valt. Now she is from the Afrikaans Kustelike Vrouwen Vereniging a non-profit organization. It is one of the oldest ones in the social services field, and it has branches in four different provinces. Their services span across a wide variety of areas, including child protection, early childhood development, older persons and special needs, as well as leaderships and training programs. They're also currently running a very interesting campaign that started because of the COVID-19 lockdowns called Bottles for Ubuntu. It's a direct reaction to the devastation that occurred after the pandemics and lockdown and I'm just very excited to talk about all of that so I would just like to say good evening Nicolette how are you doing? Um, good evening Zoe and the listeners I'm doing very well and thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. No thank you the pleasure is all ours thank you. Can you please tell us more about what the Afrikaans Kristallika Flora Vereniging or the ACVV is and how it began Yes, we actually um, nowadays only use the acronym ACDV or in many people in the, in the uh, normal mouth, it's the RCFCFC. Um, yes, um, and your introduction was so good. I can see you did your homework. (laughs) (laughs) Very well done. Yes, we started about um, 117 years ago and it was a group of um, women and volunteers who responded to the need of women and children in the concentration camps at that time with the Anglo-Boer War. Um, it started in Cape Town and then spread to the Eastern Cape in Craddock. And um, there's still a battle to going on, on which was who was first, um, Cape Town or, or Craddock. But when we had our centenary, it was in Craddock, so maybe the Eastern Cape won there. <laughs> um, and like you said, we... Uh, focus on our child, our social work services focus on child protection, um, to children and their families and then older persons, um, and then also early childhood development. We have a, a wide variety of services. And like I said, we're 117 years old in the, on the 1st of September this year. But I do believe that we've stayed hip, even despite our age. And that we've adjusted to the changing environment in, in, in which we um, deliver our services. Yeah, that's very cool. Like, I've heard of the RCFF here before, but I didn't know their origin. So that's, yeah, that's a fun bit of history to learn. So I would like to ask you, what is the vision and the mission of the RCFF here? We are currently revisiting our, our, our vision. But in in, in short, it will um to render, um, to nurture, protect, and develop those in need. And our slogan um, currently is together in service of the community. 
Because when you render um, a welfare service, you work with the community, not for them, but with them. So we are in the service of the community and to protect those who are at risk, be it from children, actually from the cradle to the grave. I would like to ask, as you said, that your um, mission and vision is currently undergoing some change, which I can imagine it's been like, what, almost 200 years since the um, organization has started. So would you say that it's changing to suit um, the society as it stands because of maybe things that have happened because of COVID or other changes in the society? No, not just COVID. I think because our services are so diverse Mm. and we need to have um, a vision and mission for each of our different services. But that's confusing, you know. So um, I think we should have just one overarching. And um, well, like everything, you need to revisit, you know, where you're going and where, what you're standing for. But the core of our services, uh, that mission will, will remain the same, you know, to render services to those and to help protect them and nurture and you know, encourage them, support them. Um, can you tell us more about the Bottle of Ubuntu pro, um, campaign and how it came to be? Yes, it, the Bottle of Ubuntu um, was actually part of our Child Protection um, Month program last year. And Child Protection Week is usually at the end of May um, annually. Hmm. Um, so I think um, we're almost there again. So we're entering on Child Protection Month now again. Uh, and we saw the impact that COVID, you know, has had, and not just COVID, but the restrictions on families and, and, and children, um, especially those children which we say live in the underbelly of society, in disadvantaged, um, you know, marginalized communities. And we realized that also at that time, all the government food aid programs were exhausted. So we realize that it's not just enough to only focus on child protection. We need, because so so many families were affected, and that we must do something and combine our child protection messages and and the program that we was writing about child protection. We had to combine that with something, you know, to place food on the table of, of the children and the families that we're trying to reach. You cannot talk to people when they're hungry. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> and also with the restrictions, we had to um, mostly do our, our campaign online um, because pre-COVID, our social workers used to go to schools, you know, we had other programs like One Day Without Shoes where we would um, ask the community to not choose because it's we're almost going, when we go into winter, and we, um, some of the schools, we had a huge reaction. Schools and socks and scarves and, and blankets, um, you know, other food parcels and so on. But people were not allowed to move around. And But our, our social workers, because they were essential workers, they could move around and they could go into the communities to protect children. And people could go to the shops. So what they did was, Combine the child protection messages or, you know, awareness campaigns with the bottles of Ubuntu. And I actually saw that as on, 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 online. I was doing a bit of research and I saw many people had these soup packets, you know, and I thought, 
And, you know, if you want to get something, it's something that looks a bit better, you know, and maybe a bit more nutritious than just a packet of soup and, you know, um, peas and lentils and stuff like that. So um, we zoop, actually we zooped it up a bit. It's like add something more. And then um, I was sitting at home one night and I had to design the Facebook post uh, for the bottles of a book. Bottles of Ubuntu, and I didn't know what to call it. And then I thought of Ubuntu. Mm. Your child is my child. You know, you you need a, a village to raise a child. And I thought, well, this is something that people can relate to. Those of us who are more fortunate, uh, we can relate to the goodwill of people. And even if they can't move around, we can, you know, advertise for that, and we can go collect it. Um, and you would not believe the response. Um, I think we received thousands of bottles with um, a very hearty and um, a lot of a variety of things in the bottles. At one of our offices, somebody came from another province and with a huge, huge truck full of fresh produce, oh, wow. which we could order. So there were so many wonderful things, and some of our social workers made um, masks out of their own. So we could also, with the bottles of Ubuntu, we could distribute uh, masks and little bottles of hand sanitizer with pamphlets about child protection. So it was a lot of things in one. Um, and we were very grateful for the response of of the people, your know, communities. We have social work officers in 51 communities, and it really was such a success. We are extremely grateful that we could, you know, not only raise, awareness about child protection, but also bring relief to families in need. No, definitely. That was very, that was such a, you really killed two birds with one stone because I remember, sorry. But I think we also tried to to, to say to the health protocols by, you know, distributing masks and hand sanitizers. So it's maybe three birds. Yeah, (laughs) so I I know a lot of um, NGOs were really struggling with working with those as well. So, Props to you guys for being able to, to kill three birds with one stone. Yeah. I remember when this was happening last year and we were talking to a lot of NGOs about what was happening and we actually spoke to a few who had their trucks like ransacked by people. Like, yes. And that's so crazy that that happened because everything that happened because of COVID is so very disheartening because the people could either stay at home and then like not but like to protect themselves and their health and then not eat, or they could go out and then risk getting a disease that we didn't even fully understand at the time. And everything was just so scary this time last year when we were so new to everything. A lot of people were placed in a very, very bad position. Yes. Many, many people. So I'm very... Yeah, and, 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 you know, and what we did is that I think because it's worth it, we didn't make a big thing about it. It's yes. only on social media. Mm. So the social workers know the families in their communities where they work and they mostly work in your uh, marginalized communities. And they could just stop at the house and, and say, come to the car and come something, you know. So it wasn't that um, the trucks were looted, you didn't go out with big trucks or a big fancy. Because the social workers know the people, they could go to those who are most in need. Oh, so it was a lot safer as well. Yes, it was safer because... Of course, we also had a look at the safety of our staff. 
they were also scared. You know, this was uncharted waters for us. Um, yes, and many of our staff were affected and their families were affected. And um, it was different in each community. So we also had to protect our staff. Hmm. In what ways were they affected, if you don't mind me asking? Um, was it I like their my... exposure to COVID? Yes, um I think we have about 265 social service practitioners that could now be social workers, social auxiliary workers, community developed workers, child and youth care workers. Um, It was a bit different. We have four child and youth care centers, which are the old children's homes. Um, The children could not go out from January. Mm -hmm. It was... I take my hat off to the staff who work there because um, because of government regulations or regulations made by the Minister of Social Development, those children could only go out by October. So they were stuck in children's homes mm. the whole year. So you can think that out is children who were removed from their parents mm. who were already traumatized. So that was quite a challenge. Um, we're still dealing with the after effects of that. Yeah, it must have been oh, very um, traumatic for the kids. It was, and, and you know, they were isolated. It's, mm. it's the same with, with um, residents of our residential facilities for older persons. Um, I think the isolation, not seeing your family, um, and the very strict um, also regulations for our older persons um, now has the effect that we have so many vacant beds because people don't are too scared to go to older because they feel that they almost felt they were locked up, you know. So I think that the human factor, apart from the health risk and the loss of life, which we had quite a number in our residential facilities, both the elderly and our staff, um, I think that was the, the huge impact, almost an alienation from their families because of, of COVID. Of our social workers, we had from the 250 or so, uh, we had about 40 that were positive, and thank God none of them, all of them recovered. That's wonderful news. It's so wonderful. You know, they had to go out into townships and checks, and and they had to go out when there was a report made of child maltreatment. Mm-hmm. So, yes, and everybody who worked, we, I think... Maybe we were one of the only organizations who were back at the office full-time on the 4th of May last year. Mm. Because the we work only never stopped. Home during April. Oh, no, during March. No, when was the lockdown? April. And um, it started, so our staff were there. We did put in some measurements to protect them, to say they only go out for emergencies. But now we're back to normal, you know, so... With um, by going out and but it, it had a it had a huge effect also on the morale of our social workers because um, self protection is not easy. Um, I read something the other day and said that this for those of us in self protection, there's often the lo- the loss of innocence yeah. because you see so many ugly things. Yeah, I can and to, to to keep the morale of the staff up, I would also like to thank. Many of our volunteer boards and especially our supervisors, we had to look after social workers, but things are looking up a bit now. So we're very grateful. 
As am I. I'm very glad that things are really changing the note. I would like to ask, um, is there any way anyone in general could help out the organization with any projects or volunteer work? Yes. Um, you know, we are a huge organization with um, a large footprint in four provinces where we work. Um, and people always, always think that NGOs always need money. And money is this. Uh, money is also is always um, a big issue for us. We could not, um, you know, have any fundraising last year. But that's not the most important. I think the most important is human capital. Mm. People who will report child abuse, people who will report elder abuse, people with leadership skills to come forward and join our volunteer boards or become a safety parent or become a foster parent or... Just go out to the old age home and read, you know, or give trim gym to or any exercises to, to the elderly residents. So, yes, there are many ways that people can become involved. And um, if they don't know um, all our branches, they can contact our head office and we can supply them with, with the contact information. Is there anything you wish that more people knew about the organization and the issues that you are tackling at this point? I am now, I'm working in child protection. My other two colleagues, we, we also have a national manager for older persons and one for early childhood development. Um, I think so from my side is, uh, is things are not going well with the children of South Africa. They are... They do live in adverse circumstances, and the rights of children are not um, recognized in South Africa. If you look what happened during COVID, there were so few um, things written about children and the way children were suffering. Because my children uh, can't go out of work. They were at home. They couldn't go to school. They could not report what was happening. Mm. And yes, we adjusted our services with you know, telecommunication and WhatsApp and video calls, and but not everybody has the means to do that. So, yeah. and yeah, so I, I think for me, it's it, it it is so important that people realize that our children are the future of South Africa. So true. They are the future leaders, and that I want to urge people to to support, um, you know, especially child protection initiatives, mm. um, and. Well, first of all, charity begins at home. Care and love your own children. Yes. So and, and yes, to become, like I said, become involved. You do not have to serve on a board to, to, to serve your community. But we also need those people. And if you can help in any way, um, and because we are in so many communities, I think it's 51, 113 uh, municipalities, but it, it, it's actually much more than that. It's, it's um, more communities, you know, than municipalities. Mm. So reach out to the people. Um, we are really committed, and we're doing it with heart. And by the grace of God, um, yes, we need all the support we can. Nicolette. It's not always easy, but um, this is our passion, and we will fight the good fight. Nicolette, your passion for children and just child protection services and the youth of South Africa is so tangible. Like, I can feel it. And 
I'm just so thankful that we have people like you who work in these industries, who found their calling and you're out there helping them, thinking of new ways to end problems that are caused. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight. It was really a pleasure having you on, having your expertise on all these subjects and just bringing light to us many things we may not have even known about. Yeah. And um, if yeah. I could ask, could you maybe just repeat again where people can um, get in contact with you guys should they want to? Yes, I can um, send an email to it is info and then a dash um, HK info um, dash HK at acvd.org.za they can look for us on our Facebook page. They can just search for ACVD Head Office. And all our contact information is there or at www.acvd.org.za on our webpage. Or even if it's easier, they can send an email to nicolette at acvd.org.za. Well, thank you very much for sharing that, and thank you very much for coming on the show. It was an incredibly insightful interview. I feel like I've also learned a bit about South African history through it. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for the opportunity. God bless you all for the work that you do. God bless you too, ma'am. And And have a wonderful evening. You too, Zoe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Wow. That was quite an interview. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because I'm aware of all the the struggles that the NGOs and stuff have during COVID time, but to hearing hearing how tangible and how difficult the specific situations is always breaks my heart. Same. It was also very interesting talking to them because I felt like I was talking to a part of South African history, knowing that that organization has been around since... For over a hundred years. Yes. That was so crazy. It's insane. That, while I'm trying to still process what just happened, because it was just that amazing, please join us for the Mystery Bible Quiz. 180 Degrees on I Am Youth Movement. 180 Degrees on Radio Cape Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Mystery Bible Quiz. Hello, everybody. So the question for this week's mystery Bible quiz is when Moses was on Mount Horeb, what did God speak through? So uh, the scripture for this, you can find the answer in Exodus 3 and 4. Please WhatsApp the answer to 081-729-1657 or SMS us at 37988. So I will repeat the question. When Moses was on Mount Horeb, what did God speak through? Now, as you guys are busy thinking up what the answer is, as well as turning your Bibles to that specific scripture. Follow us on Facebook today. I am radio. So I asked you guys, um, when Moses was on Mount Horeb, what did God speak through? Hmm. And the answer to that question is a burning bush. The narrative says that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed by the flames. Oh, wow. That's interesting. He didn't speak through a phone. He didn't speak through a TV. He spoke through a burning bush. So all of you guys who got the answer correct, you either have very quick fingers of scrolling to your the specific Bible scripture or you just know good biblical history. I mean, it's a very well-known section so of the true. Bible. Like everyone knows like, oh, yeah, Moses in the burning bush. Like it's one of those classic <laughs> narratives. So true. It's like Joseph in his technicolor coat. Ah, 
Which was always the weirdest word to me, but we'll talk more about that a different day. Yeah, let's head on right into the happy health tip. Health tips. How to be happy in your health. It's not just about being healthy, it's about being happy. Should be quite interesting. Chocolates are the true source of happiness. Indeed, they really are such a great source of happiness, chocolates are. Alright guys, so today's happy health tip is about sodium. So Mm. most people get their sodium through salt. Reduce your salt intake to 5 grams per day, equivalent to about 1 teaspoon. It's easier to do this by limiting the amount of salt, soy sauce, fish sauce, and other high-sodium condiments when preparing meals. Removing salt, seasonings, and other condiments from your meal table, avoiding salty snacks, and choosing low-sodium products. That came from the World Health Organization site. Hmm. So the reason why you should be limiting your salt. Too much salt can be very bad for you. Salt makes your body hold on to water, and having too much salt makes your heart work harder, which can have other effects like raising your blood pressure and making you more prone to heart disease. Excess salt is also linked to weight gain, swelling of the ankles, feet, legs, and belly. But salt is so, like, it just adds something to the meal. Like, I don't, for the most part, I don't think I can eat many meals anymore without adding salt. And that's the thing, like, it's so cultural as well, because I'm Afrikaans, and, like, my family always jokes, like, we're Afrikaans, so heart disease is just kind (laughs) of that cultural thing that we'll have. But... I after I read this, I'm like, oh, five grams of salt. That's a lot, actually. But then you start looking like, mm. if I have oats in the morning, I sprinkle a little bit of salt on. If you have like chips or whatever, like soft chips in the afternoon, like you put a bit of salt on that. Like salt goes on everything. So true. Even I, when you're baking, surprisingly yeah, enough, you need to add a bit of salt. A lot of salt goes into baking yeah. sometimes. So yeah, being a bit more conscious of where you're spending your salt. I know some of my family members do never, they never put the salt shaker on the table. Just to make it a bit more effort so that people don't just unconsciously add a bunch of salt. Mm. But my grandma, she do be sprinkling salt. Like, she loves that. I am with your grandma. Do you think it would be healthier if perhaps people switched from regular, regular white salt to Himalayan pink salt? Because I've always heard that's so much healthier for you, but I don't know how or why. I also don't know. Like, maybe that's something I should look into for next week. Like, alternatives to salt. But I, I have no idea what makes Himalayan salt healthier. Because mm. it's still salt, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm not even sure if it's actually from the Himalayas or if that's just the funky name that they added to it. You know, like the bottled water that tells you it's from this fancy place. Mm. And then you look at the back, it's like bottled actually, in Cape Town. <laughs> actually, not even from like a spring or anything. Mm. Just a tap in Cape Town. We had such a fun packed show today. We got yeah. a bit of South African history. We had a fun Bible quiz. Had learned some things about salt. Yeah, and I mean, all the stuff about Marquis as well. It was actually weirdly well-rounded. Right? I like it when we have shows like this. It's very fun and very entertaining. All right, so I suppose this is where we should shut down the show for the evening. But I actually feel quite reluctant reluctant to go. I'm having a good time. Same. I can't believe we're at the bottom of the hour so soon. With four minutes left until it's eight o'clock, and then we throw it back to the next news show. That you guys would love to stick around for, and I think you should. You'll enjoy it thoroughly. But as for now, this has been 180 Degrees. Signing, signing out. out.